and we're going to be talking about blessed are the eyes that see. Blessed are the eyes that see. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> As we do, uh, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity and this privilege to gather here with these brothers and sisters in the Lord to worship you. We gather in Jesus' name and we ask, Lord, that you would bless us, that we might be a blessing. We pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, Lord. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Reveal to us the mystery of the kingdom, Lord. Bend our wheels, Lord, to yours, that we may see and know and understand, Lord Jesus, who you are, what you have done, what you're doing, what you're going to do for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in in Matthew chapter 13. And um, as I was thinking about our topic today... Uh, this thought came to mind. Um, we got some kiddos and trying to teach one of them to ride a bike. And, um, you know, riding a bike, I mean, we, we use it as an expression. You know, it's like riding a bike. And what we mean by that is once you learn to ride a bike, it's kind of hard to forget. And even if you haven't ridden one for a long time, most of the time, <laughs> you can hop back on it and, and, and get going. Um, but we forget the difficulty of learning to ride for that first time, it's, it's scary, it's intimidating. And um, when you're on there, you just feel like you're going to fall off because you just got two points of contact with the ground there. And, um, and so in, in my instruction there, I'm saying, you know, you know, you give them a little forward momentum, and then I say, well, you just got to keep pedaling. Because if you stop pedaling, that's when you lose your momentum, and that's when you're going to fall over. So you just got to keep pedaling. Of course, here's, here's the thing. To know how to ride a bike, or let me put it this way, for, for the student who's learned to ride a bike, for them to know, for my child, for example, to know that I'm, that I, that I'm, that I'm right <laughs> about pedaling, there's only one way that he can know that I'm right. He has to do it. There's no, way, there's no other way. There's no other way that he can know that I know what I'm talking about until he just trusts me and keeps pedaling. And my point there is that there's something, my point is this, there's some things that you just can't know until you trust. There's some things that you can't comprehend until you actually just step out there and act in faith, and then you'll know whether it's trustworthy or not. I want to I suggest this morning that our relationship with God is like that. God is not, God is immaterial, he's spirit, you can't put him in a test tube. There's no scientific experiment to know God. Knowing God is like knowing a person. You can't really know him until you just trust him and listen. That's, when, that's how you know. In our passage today, we're going to learn uh, about Jesus' uh, revelation, about how blessed are the eyes that see. And what we're going to see is that... Um, Unless, unless you, you, can't, you can't know until you believe. 
that's what we're going to talk about this morning and talk about blessed are the eyes that see. And so if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. It says, Then his disciples came to him, came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them has not been given. For for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. Nor do do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. The word of God may be seated. So, going to explore this uh, under three headings this morning. Number one, secrets kept. Secrets kept. Number two, hearts closed. Hearts closed. And number three, eyes opened. Eyes opened. First, we want to talk about secrets kept. When we look at this passage... I think it's important to understand where it lands in the context and that there is something quite fascinating about it. So last week, I talked about the parable of the seed and the souls, okay? And you may have noticed then that there was a gap in that text because I preached the parable and its interpretation together. So maybe you noticed then that actually in the text of Matthew, the parable and its interpretation aren't back-to-back. There's actually this text that we read just now that actually comes in between the parable itself and the interpretation of the parable that Jesus gives to his disciples. Now, of course, I preached it together last week for just brevity's sake, but I would say from a literary perspective, that's intentional on the part of Matthew. That is that... We're to interpret Jesus' explanation about the parables, I believe, in light of the parable of the souls, because it's tucked in the middle there between the parable itself and its explanation. So they asked Jesus the question, why do you speak to them in parables? And I think Jesus' answer is best understood in terms of divine election. He tells the disciples, he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But to them, it has not been given. So that means that one of the purposes that Jesus taught in parables is, as, is at least as much to conceal as it is to reveal. So tucked in the middle of the parable of the sower and the souls with its interpretation, we have this passage. And we have this explanation of the parables. And so in the parable of the souls, then, what did, we, what did we see? We saw that there are different responses to the gospel, right? People respond to the gospel in different ways. 
Okay? There's, there's some people who have a hard heart who won't receive the gospel at all. There's some people who have a shallow heart who receive it for a little while but wither up when following Jesus becomes costly. And there are some who have a thorny heart who will be, whose faith is choked out by the cares of the world. And so Jesus told things in parables to conceal the truth from those who are hard-hearted, but to reveal the truth to those who believe. And so we see a tension that runs through the Bible, the tension of divine election and human sovereignty to the disciples that has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But to the general populace, it was not given. This is God's divine prerogative to have mercy on whom he will have mercy and have compassion on whom he has compassion. And see, that's why in my prayer earlier, I mentioned everybody deserves condemnation. Nobody deserves to know the secrets of the kingdom, but God in his mercy has revealed it to some. And of course, this always stands in tension with human responsibility. And we see that right here in this passage. He says, the, the people's hearts have grown dull, lest they hear with their, uh, uh, with their ears, they barely hear with their, their eyes, they have closed, lest they should see their ears, or hear with their ears, lest they understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. And so the two always go together. Their, their eyes were dim, their ears were stopped up, their hearts was dull. And this, by the way, is all of us, apart from the revelatory grace of God. There are, there are truths that can only be known through faith. One of the church fathers famously said, I believe in order that I might understand. I believe in order that I might understand. Apart from the grace of God at work in our lives, we, are all, we will be fundamentally worldly-minded. And in such a state that we can't understand. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 7. I reference this passage a lot. He says, so Jesus said to them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking from my own authority. And so look at the logic there of verse 17. There are things about God that you can't know unless your will is fundamentally bent in the same direction as God's will. There are things that you can't know. And, and, and so to me, this, is the, this explains really lots of the issues that we have today and, and the reason why the Christian worldview is and will increasingly become so incomprehensible to the lost world. How do you think that? How do you believe that? How can you, how can you think that that's true? How, how, how can you believe the things you do about gender and sexuality and so forth? These things are increasingly incomprehensible because they can't be known unless, you're, unless the person's will is fundamentally bent in the direction of God's. Why? Because, because knowledge is not sheer intellectual. People aren't convinced by sheer intellectual arguments. You know how I know that? Have an argument on Twitter. Have an argument on Facebook. Tell me how many people you persuade by your erudite intellectual arguments. People feel their way around the world more than think their way around the world. If people want to act a certain way, then they will believe the intellectual arguments that justify their want to on actions. We don't, we're not thinking. We're not primarily thinking creatures. We're feeling creatures. There's a moral aspect to intellectual arguments. People won't believe what they don't want to believe. Unless your will is to do God's will, 
You will not know whether Jesus is teaching is from God. But if your will is to do God's will, you will know whether Jesus is teaching is from God or he's speaking of his own authority. It's my prayer this morning that all who hear my words this morning would be those to whom it is the secrets of the kingdom is given. And I just want to make, make clear here. At some point, all of us were on the other side of that, where we were blind to the mysteries and the secrets of the kingdom of God. But one day, God opened your eyes. And you saw what you didn't see before. And you believed what you didn't believe before. And perhaps, perhaps this morning somebody is listening to this sermon and God is working in your heart. And maybe by this very question being implanted in your heart, you want to know whether it is given to you to receive the secrets of the kingdom. And I just want to say, press in. Ask God to reveal to you the truth. God might use that very question in your heart to give the secrets to you. Jesus spoke in parables to veil the secrets of the kingdom. They were judgment upon those who were too hard-hearted to hear them, but they illumined the truth of the kingdom to those who are willing to see. So the question is, do you believe? Do you believe? So number one, secrets kept. Number two, hearts closed. Hearts closed. He says again there in verse 12, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. In their eyes, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So Jesus continues by saying, to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I think the best way to understand that and interpret that, as I've said in the context is in light of the parable of the souls, right? And so what he contrasts there is the first and the last type of soul, the hard path and then the, the, fertile, the fertile soul, right? He says, he says there, um, for, to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance before the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So to the one who has, what, what, was, the, what was the last soul there? It was the fertile soul. He has, he received the, the seed, it grew, and, what, and then what happened? It bore fruit, right? It bore fruit. So that to the one who received the little seed, it produced 30, 60, 100 fold. To the one who has, more will be given. To the humble heart who receives the tiny seed of the gospel witness, right? That tiny seed of the gospel witness. To the one who does receive it, That person, with repentance and faith, that person will receive in return true knowledge of God, forgiveness of sins, resurrection from the dead, life everlasting, an eternal family, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, lands forever to live within a world free from sin. To he who has, more will be given. All you got to have is a little of Jesus. 
and he'll give everything to you. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You're hard-hearted. The gospel seed lands on your heart. It just There's nowhere to go. And the devil comes and just snatches it away. And the little joy and the little pleasure that you get out of this life and the little comforts that God blesses you with for the narrow scope of your life, well, one day they'll be taken away and you won't even have those. In a place of torment called hell. Because to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Why? Because everything is a gift from God. And God sends rain upon the just and the unjust alike. There are people who will blaspheme God today, not realizing that God woke them up this morning. And they will spend their whole lives, whole, whole lives living off of God's grace and God's blessing because God's kindness is meant to lead them to repentance. But one day, if they never repent, even what they have will be taken away. But to the one who has, infinitely more will be given. As you nurture that seed of faith in your life, it will grow in your heart and produce faith and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and love and self-control. It's all empowered by the Holy Spirit that he gives to us. Remember Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well? He told her, everyone who drinks of this water, John 4, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. You see, he asked the woman for a drink. But see, really, he, was about, he just did that to turn the tables on her. Because really, what she needed was to ask Jesus for a drink. And if you take a sip, you have to trust him, right? You've got to trust him to do that. But if you trust him enough to take a sip of what Jesus is trying to give you, the sip of water that he gives you becomes a spring of water in your soul. That overflows your life into all the world around us. But to the one whose heart is like the path, even what he has will be taken away. The person never gets any closer to spiritual insight, spiritual understanding, spiritual life. In fact, it's very dangerous because the more the gospel is rejected and ignored, the harder the heart can become. And so Jesus goes on to say, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. This is a quote, this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 13. So remember, Isaiah chapter 6 is that famous passage of Isaiah's call. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I saw the angels, the seraphim, with, 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 with wings he flew, uh, uh, and with wings he covered his body, and they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is full of his glory. And the threshold of the, t- and the, the temple shook at the voice of him who cried out. And then uh, they hear a voice and it says, who, who will go for us and whom shall we send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then they touch, uh, but, but when Isaiah saw that vision, he said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then they took a coal from the altar and touched his lips and said, here, this, this, this coal has purified you, it's made you clean. That, you know, it's touching Isaiah's mouth, that means Isaiah's being called to be a prophet, right? To speak the holy words of God. And this, this is what it says there in Isaiah 6. It says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people. And the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is failed. The holy seed is its stump. You see that? Isaiah received a commission from God to preach to them. Okay? And when Isaiah said, here I am, send me, the very next words is God telling Isaiah, okay, go and speak to this people, but guess what? They're not going to listen. How would you like that job? I'm going to send you, Isaiah, but nobody's going to listen. And in fact, the more you preach, the harder their hearts are going to get until I come and destroy them. You know, there's probably a reason that that ancient tradition says that Isaiah was sawn in half. They didn't like what he had to say. But notice what it says there at the end, that they would be destroyed for their rebellion. But it says, though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is failed. The holy seed is its stump. So Jesus comes well after Isaiah and quotes this, uh, quotes this prophecy and says that it is being fulfilled not just in Isaiah's day, but it's being fulfilled in his day. And we know for a fact that Isaiah, prophesying um, a couple hundred years before the Babylonian exile, that what he prophesied did in fact happen. The Babylonians came and they destroyed, the, they destroyed Israel and exiled the land and they were carried off. And then, and then God brings them back into the land. Okay, after that, and there's an intertestamental time period there. But then during Jesus' day, They're brought back into the land, but they're still subjugated to the Romans. And that's when Jesus comes in. And yet, even in Jesus' day, Jesus cites the same prophecy of Isaiah against the Jewish people again. 
they're still hard-hearted. And it says here that though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. So remember, the, a tenth, the word tenth is, is tithe. Okay? A, a tithe is the part that would be set apart for the Lord. Okay? So it says a tenth will remain like a stump remains when it is failed. The holy seed is its stump. I take that to mean that Isaiah is prophesying that after the destruction of Israel, there will be a portion, tenth representing a portion that's set apart for the Lord. A, a remnant, a chosen people set apart for the Lord. The holy seed is its stump. And so if we take, if we interpret Jesus's reference to Isaiah in the context of what he's saying here, who is the holy seed? Who's the remnant? Who's the stump that is set apart for the Lord? It's the disciples. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. Just like Isaiah's day, so it was in Jesus' day. The people's hearts are still hard and God will destroy them, but God has set apart a portion for himself. The disciples those who believe in Jesus. Only a small portion of Israel who would receive the word and bear fruit, but the rest shall be consumed. And this, in fact, by the way, is what happened. Forty years after Jesus came and preached the gospel and most of the Jews rejected him, the Romans came and obliterated Jerusalem. Obliterated it. And so I take that to mean, and I believe that the destruction of Jerusalem is a picture, is a picture of the final judgment. Jesus came, Israel had the promises, they didn't believe them. God sent Jesus to Israel, they didn't believe them. They rejected him, and they were destroyed. Now the gospel goes out to all the world. And the gospel was proclaimed to all the world. So 2,000 years later, here we are in Eastman, Georgia, talking about Jesus Christ. But one day, one day, the time will come. And those who rejected Jesus, like Israel, will be destroyed. So what Jesus is, the, the plea then is this. Don't, let, don't beware of letting your heart be hardened to the gospel. Beware. Believe he's come for mercy. He's come for mercy. The Lord's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. But one day he's coming back. And it won't be for mercy. It'll be for judgment. And so number one, we see secrets kept. Number two, hearts closed. Finally, number three, eyes open. Jesus tells the disciples... Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I, t- I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. See, the, the disciples are the tenth. They're the stump. They're the holy seed. They're the portion of Israel that was set apart for the Lord among his people. They are blessed. Why? Because their eyes see. Do your eyes see? There's, let me tell you, there's lots of opinions about Jesus out there. 
There's lots of opinions about Jesus out there. But there's only one right opinion about Jesus. And that opinion will be made very clear when he comes back. Do you see? Do you see Jesus for who he is? The Son of God, risen from the dead, reigning from heaven, crucified for our sins, coming back one day. Do you see that? You see, we, we, this, this truth is immortalized in the most famous Christian song ever written. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Eyes dim, ears deaf. But John Newton was a slave traitor. Until what happened to John Newton one day? Amazing grace happened to John Newton. And all of a sudden, he couldn't hear, but he could hear. All of a sudden, he couldn't see, but he could see. Jesus for who he was. And I just want to tell you this morning, if you see Jesus for who he is, I just want you to remember that that is a gift from God. And you better thank him for it. God's mercy has come upon us. We're not smarter than anybody. We're not better than anybody. We were blind, but now we see. You see, we have a tendency to take things for granted. Hopefully, COVID is teaching people that, to not take things for granted. If you have eyes to see, if you have ears to hear with gladness the sweet sound of mercy in the, the gospel, you better thank God for it. And it's not just that, but we even, we even think about what Jesus said here, that the disciples were more privileged than just about any, person, any other people in the history of the world. They got to walk and talk with Jesus Christ. They got to be the first recipients of the Holy Spirit when he came down at Pentecost. They got to see things that we didn't see. Moses, Elijah... These great men, some of the greatest of the Old Testament men, Jesus said, they only wished to see what John could see, what Peter could see, what James could see, what Thomas could see. They longed to see, but they didn't get to see it. They didn't get to see it. And so perhaps you're picking up on what's being implied here. And that is this, that some receive more than others. It's just a brute fact of reality. God could have chosen, you know, it could have been the Apostle Chad. That's a nice ring to it, doesn't it? I think I'm changing my title on the sign outside. Could have been the Apostle Chad, not the Apostle Peter. But it wasn't. God chose Peter for that. He didn't choose me for that. I can complain about it. I can gripe about it. Or I can thank God for the light that I've been given. God didn't choose. God doesn't choose the same things for all people. God chose that we would be alive 
right here, right now, in this time, in this place, in this generation, for the purposes that he has for us. Yet even so, God does no one any wrong. We know we're in no condition to complain, position to complain about the lot that's been appointed to us. Our only calling, we only have one calling in life, that is to take the lot God has given us and use it for him. You see, we live in a day where people think fairness means everyone must have the same things. I just want to say, according to the Bible, God doesn't give everybody the same things. You understand that we live in the most privileged time and place that has ever existed in human history, ever, ever. The technology that we have right now has only existed, I mean, Seriously, I was, I was <laughs> reading this children's book the other day that, that, <laughs> that was written in 1977. Some of you remember 1977. I don't. <laughs> and it was talking about a meteorologist and how the meteorologist had to go and make all these charts and call all, the, uh, all these other meteorologists and ask them what the weather was in their place and chart the wind patterns and stuff like that to predict the weather. And it occurred to me, that seems a little crazy until I realized the internet didn't exist in 1977. That's literally how they had to predict the weather. And we forget how privileged we are to live in this world. The fact that we didn't choose to be born at this time. We didn't choose to be born at this place. God appoints to each person as he will. We're not accountable for what we don't have, but we are accountable for what we do have. To whom much is given, much will be required. And some people have a problem with this, and I just want to say there's no problem with that. God doesn't owe anybody anything. And the, the, the nature of the kingdom of God is that it turns the world on its head. That is, in the age to come, there will be those who were the most privileged in this world, and they'll have nothing. Because they did nothing for God with all that he gave them. And there will be those who people felt so sorry for in this world. Oh, they have nothing. Oh, look at this world. But they took the little tiny bit that they had, and no one ever knew who they were, but they lived Their little tiny slice of life, however hard it was, they lived it for God, and they'll have a crown on their head in heaven. And we will serve under them because they were greater than us. Because they took what they had, and they used it for the Lord. You know, there was concern over this reality even among the disciples themselves. That's why I just love it. I love it. If you ever wonder about divine grace and divine election, just think about the guys that Jesus chose. <laughs> they just, they weren't that special. Jesus just chose them. Jesus was walking with Peter after his resurrection, and John was following behind. And Jesus tells Peter, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, 
you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. You see that? Jesus told Peter, this is what I have for you. Of course, church tradition says Peter was crucified upside down for the name of Jesus Christ. Then, verse 20, then it says, and after saying this, he said to him, he said to Peter, follow me. And then, so now, now Peter, I think he's got enough sense to say, okay, this doesn't sound good. Take me where I don't want to go. Um, Okay, Jesus. And then Peter turns around and sees John, and he's like, okay, well, what about this guy? What's he got? And then Jesus says to him, or Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? It says, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. See what Jesus is saying? We get so caught up. What about this guy? What about this guy? What about what this person has? I don't have that. What about what this person has? What about he got this opportunity? I didn't get this opportunity. What about this guy? This guy, this is going to happen to him. This is going to happen to him. Jesus looks Peter in the eye and says, I got this for you. And what if, what is it to you if I have different plans for this person? That's, that's, my, that's for me. The only, you only have one job. Follow me. Follow me. What God chooses to do with other people is God's business. But what God wants to do with me is my business. The only thing that I will be accountable for is what I did with what the Lord gave to me. And so, you know, we can always think, man, the disciples, they were so privileged. You know, what an awesome thing it would be to walk and talk with Jesus, and that is true. But you have to remember something. Each person gets their own blessing. Thomas disbelieved Jesus until he touched him, his scars, his side. And and then Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told Thomas, you see and believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. Everyone gets their own blessing. It's just different for different people. And so as we close this morning, Jesus' point is this. Blessed are the eyes that see. Do your eyes see this morning to the one who has, how much more will be given to him? And so maybe this morning, in your heart of hearts, you had not, but God through his spirit this morning, is putting that seed down into your soul. Receive it and see what you could never see before. And you'll receive more than you could possibly imagine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace.
to us this morning. Thank you for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe and turn and obey. Thank you for how you have healed us. And Lord, we pray this morning for those whom we know and love who do not know you. We pray for them because we know that we used to be just like them. And we pray that your divine grace might fall upon them to awaken them to the truth that is in Jesus Christ. Indeed, Lord, someone listening to this sermon at this very moment, Lord, you can turn on the lights to see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so I pray this morning that you would draw people to you. And I pray this morning that by your spirit, you would help us not take for granted all that you have given to us, but that, Lord, we would be zealous and that we would be keen, Lord, to take what you have given to us and use every single bit of it for your honor and glory. And for your namesake, Lord, we need your help. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The altar is open this morning. This is a great time to lay your cares before the Lord. Maybe there's someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ that you want to pray for this morning. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you want to repent of. This is a great time to do it. The kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. However the Lord is speaking to you,